Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning, 11 a.m. It's good to see you. So thankful you're here with us this weekend. Uh, If you're mourning or grieving the Mariners lost yesterday like I am, we're going to have a time of prayer right up front, right after service. And remember that it's been like this for 20 or 30 or 40 years as a team. No, but we're thankful you're here. And uh, if those of you guys are still looking for seats, we have some VIP seats down front if you guys would like uh, to take them. But we're so thankful. How many of you know whenever we gather, God wants to speak to us and he wants to teach us? We're just so reminded in these moments that the Holy Spirit's the teacher. Regardless of who stands up on this platform, the Holy Spirit's the teacher and the word of God is what we stand upon and find our truth. How many are thankful for truth in the season of life we're living in where things seem to be up, down, left, or right? We have a truth to look to this morning. It's the Holy Scriptures. And it's been the truth that God has designed for us as humanity to live into how he created us to live. And how many know we gotta look to our designer, the creator, to see how he wants us to live? And that's the path for life. Because here's the thing. We're in a series called The Life That You're Looking For. The reality is our culture provides a lot of doors that you could potentially wanna walk through. It's saying, walk through this door, walk through this door, walk through this door. And at the end of the day, how many know those doors oftentimes will promise a lot of things, but on the other side of that door, doesn't deliver the promises that it had on one side. Oh, but on the side of the door, there's also a door that's the door that Jesus is inviting us into. It's the door of the kingdom. It's the door of Jesus's life for us, the life abundant, the scriptures say. How many every time we walk through the way he calls us to live, that's the life we're looking for. And it always comes through on his promises, Amen. And so this is what we're talking about, the life that we're looking for. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're gonna respect the word. That's what we do here at Calvary. We respect the word. I'm gonna be reading just three or four verses out of Luke chapter nine. And it's really where I'm gonna spend all my time this morning. Luke chapter nine, verses 23. It says this, this is Jesus talking. Whenever Jesus talks, how many know you should listen extra, right? He says this, and he said to all, I love that. This is an invitation for all people. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world, but he loses himself? Let's pray one more time. Lord, we just invite your spirit to come and teach us, speak to us. Lord, all of us are in a different place. We're all in different places, spiritually, emotionally. We're all in different seasons of life, yet the one thing remains true, that the word of God is relevant for each and every one of us. And the spirit of God takes the word of God and meets us at our season and our time of need and our moment that we're in. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask humbly that you would speak to me first and then you would speak to us together, that we would be people open to your your word. Lord, I I sit under your teaching this morning, what you would want for us and what you would want for me. So give us the ears to hear that we would be ready to receive. Lord, I don't want to miss what you want to say to us. And so would would you help us receive and be people that are not just hearers of the word, but doers. Shape us towards the end of a disciple. Not the end of a follower, not the end of just a fan, but the end of a disciple. May that be us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Or stand the whole time. It's up to you if you would like. But it's kind of like one of those things at the Mariners game or the Seahawks game. If one person stands, the whole section has to stand, right? So that'd be awkward if this entire section was just standing. Could you imagine this? 
Could you imagine trying to explain the world and the context in which we live in to your great, 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 great grandparents? Could you imagine trying to explain to them what this world is like? I, I, was, I was thinking about that question this week. Maybe you can even think about it in your own mind. What, where would you start with explaining what the world looks like? Uh, for me, I was thinking, I, I, might, I might start with this. Uh, you don't even really need a checkbook anymore. I might, I might say that. You don't need a place, a checkbook to kind of tally your money. Yes, you're impressed that I actually know what a checkbook is. Yes, I do. And in fact, you don't even need a checkbook. We're gonna give you great, great, great grandparents. We're gonna give you this card. And everywhere you go, you just kind of tap it and money comes out of your bank account. And it's a pretty cool invention. In fact, we have this thing called money and currency and the American dollar, all those things. But we also have this thing, grandma and grandpa, great grandma and grandpa called Bitcoin. And it's all online and it's a new currency. And it is interesting to say the least. And it's uh, all online and speaking of online, great, great grandma and grandpa, there's this thing called the internet, right? How would you explain the internet? <laughs> I don't know how I would start the, you know, you get a, you, I don't even know where I'd start in this thing that we get all this information from. And it connects all of us. And there's this thing called Wi-Fi. And I don't even know what, how I would explain that. And we have these phones. Like, you don't need your phone just to stay at your house anymore. We have these phones. And we take them with us everywhere we go. And they don't just call people. How many just would think that our great, great, great grandma and grandparents would just be at this point, right? Oh, and then we have cars that will drive you. So don't worry. Your car will drive you. We have spaceships that will take you to space without astronauts in them. We have robots that will do the work for you in your factory. We have robots that will even clean our houses for us. Thanks, Roomba. Uh, we have stuff delivered to your house. The day you order it online, you can order it at 9 a.m. and it'll be to your house by dinner time. Stuff delivered within the day. And, and by the way, great, great grandma and grandpa, we have these things called Alexa and Siri. And I gotta be careful because if I say Siri, all your phones light up. But we have this thing called Alexa and Siri and they just go with us everywhere we go. Uh, Alexa sits on our counter in a little box and Siri listens to us all day. How's that sound, right? I think they'd be pretty shocked about how the world has developed. Don't you? I mean, think about how the world's changed in the last 100 years, last 75 years, last 50 years, last 20 years, last 10 years. How about the last three years, how much the world, five years, how much the world has changed? What, what do you think they'd say? If you, if you and I got to time travel backwards and we got to go hear what maybe our great, great grandma and grandparents would say, you know what? You know, I think they might say, eh, I think they have a lot of observations, to be honest. I think they, this might be one of their observations. You guys have made the world so automated. I mean, think about it. Our, most of our world can be done automated these days. In our factories, even in some of our cars, it can be automated with our banking stuff. So much of our world, we have, we have made it so we don't have to even do or to think about it. It just happens. I think that would, they'd, say, they'd say, wow, you're so automated. In other words, they might say this with that, continue that logic. You guys have made your life so comfortable or you've attempted to just kind of do life and go through life with other things working for you. Here's a second thing. As we're talking with this great, great, great grandparent, 
I wonder if we went to that generation and we found the most resilient follower of Jesus. All in follower of Jesus from 100 100 years ago. I, I wonder what they would say. I wonder if they'd say this, because of all the things you guys have created, it seems like you must have more time. Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, because of all the things that you've created, it seems like you must have more space or capacity to follow Jesus. You must be, because you have all these automation things working for you, you must be able to spend more time in prayer. You must be able to spend more time in worship. You must be able to spend more time serving the church. And how many know, a hundred years ago, if they asked us that question, we talked to that person, we'd actually probably say the opposite. We have all these things. We have all these things that work for us and the comfort of the world that we have, yet we're more busy, we're more stressed, we're more anxious, and we're less focused. Interesting, isn't it? You see, I think the comforts, and I'm gonna use that word comfort. Everyone say comfort. I think that that word comfort that we've created to make our lives as comfortable as possible, I don't think it's actually made the human condition better. I think the human condition hasn't changed. I just think, think the things that we've created have actually revealed more about the human condition. Are you with me? I think the things that we've created to attempt to make our lives better have externally made our lives better, but on the inside have made our lives more hollow. This is the times in the world in which we're, we're living, I wanna say this this morning, Pastor Ray has been talking about the, the desire of the kingdom must be stronger than the desire of the world. This has been our, our mantra in this series, that this of the kingdom must be stronger than the things of the world. I wanna say this this morning, our desire to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, our desire to be a disciple must be stronger than our desire for comfort. This is, this is our, our heart's cry this morning, our desire to be a disciple must be stronger than our desire for comfort. In Luke chapter nine, which is the scripture I read this morning, Jesus is giving a teaching to his disciples and the invitation is for anybody and he's, and he's trying to explain to them that the kingdom is for anybody that would want to come. The invitation is there and the invitation is this. The invitation is, is not to a life of comfort. The invitation is to a life of discipleship. This is the invitation that whoever wants to follow him can follow him, but it's gonna require maybe leaving some of the things of, of comfort. He says, he says this in, in, in Luke chapter nine, we read the first thing he says, you wanna be a disciple. Here's how you'd be a disciple. This is a thesis. This is an overview. We could probably, we could probably explain all of discipleship with, the, with this category. There'd be a lot more to say, but we could start with this. He'd say the first thing he'd say, you wanna be a disciple? You wanna follow me? The first thing you gotta do, deny yourself. Yay, right? Who wants to sign up for denying themselves? This is what Jesus says. The first thing I think is so fascinating. Fascinating. So you want to follow me? You want to be a part of my kingdom work? You want to be a part of uh, making the kingdom of God come from heaven to earth? You want to you have a life of purpose? Deny yourself. That word deny is from a Greek word which means to completely disown or separate oneself from someone. It means that you deny anything about yourself. Let him refuse any association or companionship with himself. So anything that your world might want, anything desire that you might want, deny yourself. It's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deny those things. Anything that might make me more comfortable, I'm gonna deny my comfort. This is what God, Jesus, tells his disciples. You wanna follow me? Deny yourself. You see, listen, like, like many of the early followers of Jesus in that time of Rome, 
Jesus was ministering at the time of Rome. And Rome and, and this current, current cultural context in the United States of America has so many similarities. And one of the similarities between Rome and the United States of America is this, is this push towards extreme individualism. There's, there's a push in our culture that it's about my life first before your life. That as long as my life is good, I might have some leftovers to help your life. As long as our lives are good, that is the cultural narrative of the United States of America. There's been so much research done in recent years sociologically, which is the study of people, psychologically, which is the study of the mind, and in the context of interpersonal relationships, and the context of workplaces, and interviews with marriages, all these things. There's been a lot of study around this, around what's a happy life. We've been asking this question as, as a country for a long time. What's, what's a happy life? And Robert Putnam, who's a, who's a great thinker and a great author, he did the study, I think 1,500 different studies, he combined them together. He said out of all 1,500 studies, and not necessarily a Christian study, just a study of the landscape of our, of our culture, he said, how do, you, how do you have a happy life? These are the things that he came up with. The first thing people are looking for having a happy life is a few close friends. If you have a few close friends, maybe not a thousand friends, maybe not a hundred friends, but if you have a few friends, three to five friends that really know you, you, you have a happy life. Secondly, a nuclear family, a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister. This is important. The, the happy life comes from that. This is according to these studies. Number three, meaningful work. Happy life comes from when people find meaning in their work. I, I, might, I don't have time to go off on it too much this morning, but I would make the case that you can find meaning in any work you do. Why? Your vocation is to be a follower of Jesus. Your, your bivocation is what makes money. Your bivocation is what provides you for your family. So you, the first thing you do, no matter where you work, you work at Boeing, Microsoft, Amazon, Starbucks, you work wherever, your first calling is to be a follower of Jesus wherever you go. So if you serve coffee, it's in the name of Jesus you're serving coffee, right? I, I think my, my wife's a school teacher. The amount of stories she tells me of how she's able to, to, to point people to Jesus, not by saying the name of Jesus, but by the way her life lives and the stories that come is pretty amazing. I can think you can find meaningful work anywhere you go. But that's just my, my opinion. Number four, religion. How do you find a... A happy life, according to Robert Putnam and so many studies. Religion, and here's the thing I want you to see today. Those four things are so important. I might even advocate that those are biblical. I mean, look at that list. Doesn't God call us to have close friends, to care for our families, the importance of the family and our culture? Doesn't God call us to have meaning in our work and doesn't God call us to have faith? But catch this. In our day, we are living through the hollowing out of all four of those. In our culture today, all four of those things, due to a lot of reasons, the rise of the digital world, and social media, individualism, all of these things have caused those four things to be hollowing out. In fact, did you know this? I found this so fascinating. Did you know in the last three years, not the last 10 years, the last three years, we, we've gone from an average in our, in our country, an average from 3.2 friends to 1.8 friends. You're like, how does that work? How do you have a 0.2 friend? Well, it's averages, right? So you take the average. In other words, the, the relationships in our country have been cut in half. Close friends have got, been cut in half. 
over 40% of American adults have zero to one confidence. Have zero to one place to process the hurts and struggles. Almost 50% of our country in the United States of America doesn't have one person to share the hurts, struggles, and, and things going on inside of here. Doctors are calling loneliness the greatest effect of disease on our time. The Surgeon General, Dr. Murfum, former Surgeon General, Dr. Murfum, said that the most common pathology, the most common effect of disease was loneliness. Not heart disease, not any of the other things. It was loneliness that led to other disease. In fact, if you really survey the world, the United States of America is the most lonely people in the world. You see, we've made this world all about us, all about our desires, all about our wants, putting us first. And how is that working for us? makes us some of the most isolated, lonely people in the world. Jesus says, if you wanna be my disciple, first, deny yourself and then come after me. What's he saying? He's saying it's not until you desire to d- deny yourself that you'll get yourself in a place that you'll be able to welcome other people into your life. It's not until you desire your own, you deny your own needs and deny your own passions and deny your own things first, not saying those are not important. I'm just saying the most important thing would be deny yourself and to put yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I deny my own self and put you first. And then you open yourself up to other people. I might say this, making life all about you will only last for a moment. It will just make your life more lonely and eventually more miserable. But if you make your life about denying yourself and making it about God and making it about other people, you will, you will begin to find the life that God is inviting you into today. What's it mean to be a disciple? The first one, deny yourself. Number two, what's it mean to be a disciple? Jesus says in Luke chapter nine, take up your cross. If anyone wants to come after me, deny themselves and then take up their cross. What's this mean? What's it mean to take up your, your cross? This is, this is simply this. It's, it's meaning that you will pay any price that you have to for Christ's sake. To take up your cross is to pay any price that you have to for Christ's sake. It's a willingness to endure embarrassment or reproach or rejection or persecution, all for the sake of Christ, that you're willing to do that if that means you have to. I think about those early disciples that when Jesus says, take up your cross, they knew exactly what that meant. They lived in the time of Rome. They lived in the time of Nero. They lived in the time when Christians were up on crosses as streetlights being burned. They understood what it meant, that this was such a radical call to follow Jesus that it might even cost them their life. It might even cost them their comfort. It might even cost them the things that are closest to them. There's this quote from an author named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Pastor Ray has referred to him, and he wrote a book which I think is so fascinating. It's a heavy read, but if you have time and you kind of got to go page by page, it might take you a week to read a chapter. It's a heavy read, but it's a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he, he writes about what discipleship means for us, and this is a longer quote than I like reading publicly because I think sometimes we can get lost in our psyche with it, but I want to, I want to put on the screen so I invite you to take a deep breath. And I really think that these words are important. So try and, try and catch every word that Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in referring to taking up our cross. It says this, the cross is laid on every Christian. 
The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his or her encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, catch this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be like a death like Luther's who had to leave the, the monastery and go out into the world, but it's the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. The Bible says that one of the things we must do as disciples is we must, be, we must, we must crucify our old self. We must crucify the old passions. This is the invitation for us as Christ followers. If you want to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Maybe literally be willing to sacrifice all the, the closest things to you, but also sacrifice the, the old self, the old passions, the old things within you. You let them die on the cross. Take up your cross when Jesus says this. This isn't just like put a necklace around your neck with a cross on it or put the Christian bumper sticker on your hydro flask. Right, like these, these things, these, these disciples understood what it meant to take up your cross. I wonder this morning, have you counted the cost of discipleship? You see, Jesus leaves no room for error here. Following him is going to cost you something. Following Jesus will cost you something. I, I think sometimes in our world, we've added faith to our life. Faith is the first thing to our life. And with faith, it means we might have to give up something. Have you counted the cost? Discipleship isn't just the second tier for our life. Have you surveyed your life and said, I'm all in? I, I'm, willing to be, I'm, willing, I'm willing to deny myself and take up my cross. Can I just invite you this morning, church? You might say, this, this sounds like I'm giving up a lot. Yeah, you might be giving up yourself and your dreams and your desires and the things in your flesh that you might think are important, but can I just promise you this morning, if you will deny yourself and take up your cross and die to yourself and whatever God wants to do, invite him and to say, God, I want your life above what I thought I wanted for my life. Welcome to the greatest adventure of your life. Welcome to the greatest adventure. If you're willing just to say, God, I'm all in whatever you have for me. All in. If that, if that means you, you wanna put me somewhere where I'm not popular, that's okay because I'm with Christ, greatest adventure. If that means I have to speak my faith in a context and a culture that might be difficult, that's okay because I don't care what people think about me anymore because I've denied myself and I've taken on my cross. God, whatever you wanna use me for, that's okay. I'm all in. Welcome to the greatest adventure of your life. You wanna make life mundane and boring? Live your own personal dreams, but you wanna make your life exciting and all about the adventure of life? Make it about God's dream for your life and watch how he'll use you. Deny yourself and take up your cross and watch where God will take you. This is, this is the call of discipleship today. And, and, and I could keep going, but I'm gonna move on because we have to, we have to go, move to the next thing. Deny yourself, take up your cross. I wanna make sure you're not here till 2 p.m. today. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Everyone say, follow him. I'm convinced that only a person that denies themselves and takes up their cross will be willing to follow him. Will be following him, will be prepared to follow him. Dallas Willard, a great writer, he says this, he says, the greatest issue facing the world today is whether those who are identified as Christians will actually become disciples. Did you catch that? 
The greatest issue, that's a, that's a big statement. The greatest issue is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, steadily learning how to live the life of the kingdom and the heavens into every corner of existence. Church, I wanna invite you to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. I, want you to, I wanna invite you to follow him wherever he has you go. I wanna invite you to be people of the word, people that are students of God's word that look at the truth of the scriptures and see where God would have you go. I wanna invite you to be a person of prayer, a person that not just declares prayers from their mouth, but sits quiet enough to be able to listen to God's voice. In fact, I love what it says in John chapter 10, verse 27. It says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they... What's it say? They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. This is the invitation that God is calling you towards today. Will you listen to his voice? Will you go where he calls? I think once we've denied ourselves and taken up our cross, we attune ourselves to say, God, I, I am so ready and postured for wherever, wherever you want to take me. Church, I wanna be the type of Christ follower that lives, lives for the next miracle. Live to say, God, I, I don't, I, I've literally handed everything. I've handed all the things of my own desires unto you. Now I'm ready. What are you gonna place in my hand today? I wanna be the type of, of, of Christ follower that just says, I'm ready for God to use me in any way. I'm ready for God to use me to have a conversation with someone. I'm ready for God to use me to answer the phone call and comfort someone in loss. I'm ready to follow Jesus wherever he has me go. And let me promise you this. If you're attuned to his voice, if you're attuned to the shepherd, you won't only be affirmed in who you are, you'll be affirmed in how you can love other people. This is the invitation, follow me. I, I don't wanna get to the end of my life and have it be what Luke chapter nine and 23, 25 says, for someone that gains the world, we read it, I'll read it, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? I don't wanna to be to someone in my, in my life that I'm at the end of my life and I've gained the entire world, but I've lost my soul. I've gained everything the world promises, but on the inside, I'm more hollow. Oh, I don't wanna be that person. I wanna be the person that follows Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you'll gain your soul. If you seek first his righteousness and his things, all these things will be added to you is, is the promise. And so this is what God's call for us as disciples is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him, put ourselves in spaces or capacities where we can hear his voice and where he would want us to go. And this is what I believe we must do because we're talking this morning about combating comfort in order to be a disciple. Discipleship must be stronger than the comfort of the world. The world's inviting you to comfort. God's inviting you to discipleship. The world is like a cruise ship, and I love cruise ships. I've been on cruise ships before. They're a lot of fun. I'll go on one again in the future. But a cruise ship is like you pay the money at the beginning, and then you get there, and like you have 27 meals a day, right? 27 meals a day, and they serve you all day, you barely have to leave your room except for to go to the pool. And it's just entertainment, entertainment. It's all just absorbing all these things and it's a lot of fun and it's awesome. Sometimes we treat our faith like that where it's just take in, take in, take in, receive, receive, receive. We just sit back and we just receive. That is not the call of discipleship. The call of discipleship is not like a cruise ship. The call of discipleship, catch this, is more like a battleship. It's more like stepping up to what God wants you to do, to follow him. I wasn't in the Navy or the military, so I don't know what all the training is like, but I can assume from what friends have told me, the training is rigorous to be in the Navy. The training is rigorous to be on one of those battleships. 
And this is like us as following Jesus. He wants us to be trained as disciples to be able to go to battle because if you treat life like a cruise ship, your life will just be passive and passivity. But if you treat life like a battleship, watch how God will use you to be a soldier for the kingdom. Watch how God will use you to continue to share faith with the next generation. So we must combat comfort. We must combat this cruise ship idea. I think we do it by this. We do it by having a life of sincere. Everyone say sincere. Sincere service. I use that word very carefully. We must combat worldly comfort with the spiritual discipline of serving. A life, not just a moment, but a life of sincere service. Mark chapter 10 says this. You know that those who are regarded as rulers lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, catch this. But not so with you. Not so with you, follower of Jesus. Not so with you, Calvary Community Church. Not so with you, those that want to be a disciple. Not so with you instead. If you want to become great, what do you do? You serve. Must be a servant. What's the life you're looking for? I believe the life you're looking for is a life that denies yourself, takes up your cross, follows him, and takes on the mantra of a servant. You know what's so beautiful? Jesus never asks us to do anything he didn't do. Just consider that. Let's consider Jesus for a moment. Denied himself. Jesus left, in Philippians chapter two, it explains this so beautifully. Jesus left the luxuries of heaven and came down to this earth. Denied himself. Denied himself the glories of heaven to come down to earth. Now, I don't know about you, but once I get to go to heaven, I don't wanna come back, right? I wanna be in heaven for eternity, but that's not what Jesus did. Out of compassion, he denied his luxuries of heaven and came down to earth for 33 years and served and loved. And he didn't just deny himself, he denied himself heaven. He, he carried his cross. See, Jesus is inviting us to take up our cross and follow him because he did it himself. I was reminded this week, I think sometimes we think of the cross, which is our message. The cross is our message. The cross of Christ is where the power comes. The cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus is where you and I have a relationship with God because of what he did and he died and rose again. That is where our faith has value. The Bible says if that isn't true, then we're of most people to be pitied. The cross is the center of everything that we talk about and believe. What Jesus did on the cross, the sacrifice for us. And I was thinking this week, Jesus died for all of us, but what if we just remembered and, and, and personalized that, that Jesus died for me? When's the last time you just thought about that? Beloved son and daughter of God, when's the last time you just thought, Jesus died for the whole world, but Jesus died for, insert your name. That he would, have, he would have done it just for you, and he did do it just for you. And he invites all to come to salvation. He died for the whole world. But I think sometimes we, we, we get lost in, how much does God love you? He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin, died on the cross so that we might be the righteousness of God. We might be sons and daughters of God. That's how much God loves you. You are so loved today. You're loved beyond comprehension. You're loved beyond anything you can understand or even conceive in your own mind. The love that God has for you, this is what Ephesians chapter three says, the love that God has for you is, is greater and your mind keeps, needs to keep conceiving in new ways his love because it's that big, your mind will never understand it. Paul prays, he says, Lord, help me to even understand your love because in this moment, I can't conceive it how much you even love me. 
That's how much God loves you. You can't even comprehend it. The cross of Christ. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't done. He denied himself. He took his cross and he served the will of the Father. He denied himself, he took up his cross and he followed the will of the Father. The Bible says right before he went to the cross, he was in the garden of Gethsemane weeping tears, weeping blood, the scriptures even say, because if he knew what the moment was about to happen and he says these words, in the moment of difficulty, he says these words, he says, Father, not my will but your will be done. See, Jesus invites us to follow him in denying ourselves, taking up our cross and follow him. And I believe he's inviting us into a sincere service like he did. I wanna talk to you about the difference between, as we, as we get ready to close this morning, I wanna talk to you about the difference between self-righteous service and sincere service. Because I believe God's calling his church. We combat comfort with sincere service. The comfort of the world, we combat it by taking an intentionality towards a sincere service. There's gonna be a slide that comes on the screen and it's a, a little bit small, but I'll, I'll read it from here. It says, comfort comes through human effort is self-righteous service. And self-righteous service, comfort comes through human effort. But sincere service, it comes from relationship with the divine. Self-righteous comes from human effort. Sincere service comes with relationship to the divine. Self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal. Oh, but sincere service, it finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. Sincere service rests contented in hiddenness. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. Oh, but sincere service is free of the need to calculate results. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve, but sincere service, like Jesus, is indiscriminate in its ministry. It serves whoever. Self-righteous service is affected by your emotions or your moods or your whims. Oh, but sincere service is ministered simply and faithfully, not because you feel it, but because there's a need. Self-righteous service is temporary. Oh, but sincere service isn't just an act, it's a lifestyle. Self-righteous service is, is insensitive and insists on meeting a need. Oh, but sincere service, it can withhold the service as freely as it can perform it. Self-righteous service, it fractures community, but sincere service, the sincere that God's inviting us into, it builds community. You see, the temptation is when we go to serve God and serve others, we can be careful that we begin to make it like us again. The temptation in serving people is that you might serve so that you can get a mutual benefit out of it. That's not the call of discipleship. The call of discipleship is a sincere service to serve and maybe not ever get a benefit or receive anything from it. Colossians chapter three, verse 23 says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. As for working for the Lord, not for human masters. When you serve, you're not serving people, you're serving God. Well, as, as you serve people, it's like you're just serving them on, on behalf. Like, you're like, God, I'm serving you and now this is the people right in front of me. I just wanna serve you however you have me. So church, deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow him. Serve Christ first, serve your family, serve your church, serve your neighbor. Not just on a one-time thing or not just because you feel like you're guilted into it. Take on, my prayer is that we take on a lifestyle of service. We would be open that our lives are just open vessels to however God wants to use us, wherever we go. I was thinking this week about 
I was thinking this week about in our church, in our context, we have servants all over this house. And I don't, I don't have time to go through all the different ministries. I mean, I, like Calvary operates because of volunteers, servants that give up their time to pray, to serve, to set up, to give. People that will never get acknowledged from this platform, but this doesn't happen without them. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is that people behind the scenes that you will probably never meet are making it possible for you to sit in these seats and to worship and hear the word this morning. Have you thought about that? That you're benefiting from God's presence because someone served you and you didn't even know them? (laughs) I was singing this morning, this weekend rather, about our Calvary Kids ministry. How many people are grateful that over on the other side of the building, as we've had close to 400 kids this weekend over there, how many are grateful for the adults that are in the classrooms getting down on one knee, serving the kids, listening to them, laughing with them, playing with them, sharing with them about the love of Jesus. In fact, I think when Jesus came to Calvary, he would probably serve in many different aspects, but do you know where I think he'd start? Let all the children come unto me, the scriptures say. I think he'd get on his knee and he would begin to laugh and play with kids. Aren't you grateful for this morning that people that are looking for no credit, that will never even probably get noticed, but they're behind the scenes serving in a three-year-old classroom that my son was in last service so that my son could come to me with this little artwork that says, you're a part of God's mission to the world. How beautiful is that? That's the call of discipleship. That's the call of the church. That's the call of what he wants us to do with our lives, that we be the types of people that say, God, wherever you have me, whatever you wanna do with me, what are some things that just practically you could do? Because I know you're like, this seems big, and what do I do with it? Here's a, here's a few things. Number one, you, you could serve others by guarding and protecting their reputation. Oh, in a world of gossip and tearing people down, what if you were the type of person that built someone up? What if you're the type of person that behind closed doors, whenever, whenever people are trying to tear that person down, and I fall guilty of this, ask my close friends, I'm not perfect at this, but that time when people are tearing people down, you say, actually, that person's my friend. And the way we're talking about them is not right. So I'm actually serving that person by protecting their reputation. How about this, serving others with hospitality? Inviting people into your home. Hey, come on over for dinner. Let's share a meal together. Let's have this hospitality. By the way, I believe hospitality is the center of the gospel. Welcoming people in. Or even better, inviting yourself to someone else's house and says, how about you make us dinner and we're gonna come to your house for hospitality. How's that sound, right? (laughs) How else can we serve others? Serve others by listening. I'll ask you a question. When's the last time that you really felt listened to? I mean like someone just listened to you and didn't ask anything about themselves. They just kept asking about your situation. They took a genuine interest in what you're walking through and what you're going through and your story and how's your soul. And they just sat and they listened. Maybe they took an hour just to listen without saying anything about themselves. When's the last time that happened? I can bet it's been a, it's been a while for some of us. Catch this, what if you were that person to someone else? What if you serve somebody just by listening to them. People that are listened to feel loved. Did you catch that? People are listened to feel loved. You don't even have to say a word to them, but if they have your full attention and they can tell, how many know you can tell when someone's listening or when they're fake listening, right? Oh, and when you listen intently, it makes them feel loved. You can share, serve others by sharing the word together. 
Serve others by treating everyone like an image bearer of God. Serve others by the gift of, I love this one, hidden service. By the gift of hidden service. That one intrigues me a little bit. Hidden service. What if we were just good at like serving people and no one even noticing? What if we're good at just like, hey, that person's going through a tough week. I'm just gonna slip a cup of coffee on their desk and write a note. You're gonna make it with God's strength. Well, what if we were the types of people that were good at just like, oh, I hear someone has a financial need. They just lost their job. They're struggling to pay rent. And you gather a bunch of friends from your community and say, hey, let's all put in $50 and let's all put in $100 to help them financially this month. And you didn't tell anyone you did it. You just somehow found a way to get them the money. Serving people by just like these, these it's like, it's like a secret Santa, but way better, right? It's like you're doing it for the glory of God and not caring who hears or sees. The, the scriptures say this, those that do things in public for recognition, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. He says, those that do things in public, they're gonna receive all the recognition in public and that's the, gonna be their reward. But those that do things in private and in secret, when nobody notices, the father who sees in secret will reward them in secret. What a beautiful concept of serving other people. May it be so that we combat this culture of comfort and ease with being disciples of the Lord Jesus, serving others in the very way he called us to serve, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following him and following him wherever he takes us. Amen? Maybe so. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that every person in this room, like you laid this so heavy on my heart this morning, I pray every person in this room would know that they are your beloved. Before we ever do anything for you, we are your beloved, sons and daughters of God. Lord, I thank you in the scriptures that say you, we are your prized possession. Forgive us the times where life has been about us. We declare this weekend, we want our life to be about others. Use our lives, as Romans chapter 12 says, as a living sacrifice. As you've called us to sacrifice our lives, may, may we be so, be that living sacrifice for our world, for our friends, for our community. And may it be so that we can make much of you, not much of us, much of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one more song together. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.